Hello everyone, this is Manahal Gill, and welcome back to another episode of Keep Your Scrubs On. Last time I interviewed my darling mother, and today I'll be interviewing my father, the little power couple of Dr. Parents. So we'll be seeing his journey through New York City doing research at Columbia, all the way to Dallas, Texas as an interventional cardiologist. So stick with us to hear more about Dr. Tamora Gill. Okay, so can you tell me just an overview about what brought you to medicine and what you do right now? Um, what brought me to medicine? You know, I grew up in uh, Pakistan where uh, there are only three professions which sort of kids are, um, I don't know, you can call it given options to choose from, can become an engineer or a, a finance guy or you could be in the... Uh, what we call civil service, or you can uh, join med school. That's what I did. So I was always inclined to join med school because, uh, you know, back home, we see a lot of poverty and people not getting good care. So uh, that was one of the main reasons that I thought I would maybe serve mankind too. So what do you do right now as a profession? Can you explain what that means? So I am uh, an international cardiologist. Interventional cardiologist, which typically uh, what I do is uh, I will treat someone that has any issues with their heart, but but also intervention means if someone has a heart attack uh, or has a chest pain, which is caused from blockage, I can go in and I can clean those blockages out and, and open them up. Uh, and also, uh, when it comes to intervention, I also work on other areas where people that, for instance, that smoke or are diabetic, they can have poor flow in the legs, and when they walk, they cannot walk, or if they have any ulcers in the leg, which is from compromise of the circulation, uh, I can go and open those too. So what brought you to interventional cardiology as opposed to general cardiology? Uh, I always felt like, uh, you know, general cardiology uh, is still, it's on the forefront, but not at the forefront, forefront because, uh, you know, your first responders are your uh, EMS people that, uh, you know, uh, will treat people on the field when someone collapses or they call for chest pain. And, uh, you know, interventional cardiology, uh, when you're on call, uh, you're the first person there and, you know, the person's dying in front of your eyes and they look up to you for help. And, uh, you know, and once most of the time when we take care of the blockages or if they're having a heart attack, uh, they get better. It's like a U-turn, it's instant gratification. Hey, that's great. So what brought you to cardiology as a whole then, as opposed to other professions? Yeah, I always was inclined uh, towards cardiology because I always felt like uh, uh, most of the uh, acute conditions that were treatable were, uh, were cardiovascular. The reason I say cardiovascular because it involves other stuff like, you know, circulation to the, to the brain, circulation to the legs. And also uh, the, a lot of people that when you in the hospital setting, uh, you know, when I was doing internal medicine, uh, you know, it just seemed to intrigue me more because the first thing that everyone gets done when they come to the hospitals an ECG, we can call them EKG in the U.S. Uh, and 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 just understanding those, you know, those spikes on the on the uh, what we call that paper uh, on on a scale paper, mm-hmm. uh, just to understand that was very intriguing, and I always felt that the there were the gratification for treating cardiac conditions cardiac conditions was more was more quicker and immediate. And, uh, and in general, cardiology is very competitive. And you know, everything that's competitive, you want to be part of it. 
So what was the process like to become a cardiologist? Did you have to work a lot? Did you have to study extra? What did that feel like? So, you know, uh, so cardiology is a subspecialty of internal medicine. So a lot of people can become, as you know, gastroenterologists. They can become uh, uh, diabetic specialists. We call them endocrinologists. They can become uh, pulmonary people that treat lung cancers or COPDs, or, or they can become rheumatologists where they, where they treat joints. And cardiology is one of them. And uh, uh, I, uh, you know, when I came to this country, uh, again, the reason I'm from Pakistan, uh, uh, I was involved in some research uh, at one of the premier institutions in, in New York City. So I uh, researched, you know, to get into cardiology is very competitive. You may have 100 people applying for like five spots and then you need to have something more than just your, you know, being a good trainee. Uh, so I did a lot of research, uh, some bench research that uh, involved, uh, uh, you know, a process of uh, healing of the arteries uh, and that I was able to publish uh, well and that actually helped me make my resume stronger and get into this field. So tell me more about that research that you did and also about your time in New York City. Yeah, so I came to this country, uh, you know, uh, again, just like you're competing with a lot of the uh, local graduates uh, for the same spots and uh, you, you know, coming from a, a third world country, you just see like the, 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 the research is not as strong and it's not as uh, intense, uh, if you will. So, uh, you know, I was involved in research where we were looking at, you know, uh, healing of the arteries after damage, uh, which we did in real-time patients. We also did in like rat models, sorry, mice models. And uh, uh, we were able to prove some new concept, which was not there before, where the initial thought process was, if you, let's say if you fall down, you injure your artery, let's say if you get injured, the, the healing of the artery, let's say if you fall down and, mm -hmm. and, and you have a tear in your skin, the healing of the, art, of, of the, the whole process only involves cells that are already there. But we were able to prove that, hey, when you're grown, you still can have some contribution from the bone marrow. Uh, as opposed to the, the older concept was only the, the cells come from the bone marrow. The cells that infect, fight infection or the cells that contribute to your not being anemic, uh, which we call red blood cells. But we were able to prove that also cells that contribute to vascular healing, they can also came from bone marrow. That paper was very well cited, uh, has been already cited 1100 times by now. Oh, wow. Was, was published in a very uh, peer-reviewed journal. Uh, I was the first author. So th that's always uh, something to look back, be proud of. And actually that work helped me get into uh, the fellowship, uh, you know, uh, uh, in cardiology fellowships. That's great. So what was the daily routine of you when you did your research? Yeah, so, you know, we'll start a day and uh, we would, uh, you know, for instance, we would collect samples of patients that had bypass surgery. We were looking for if those because people when they have bypass surgery, they do get vascular injury when they have bypass grafted. And we are trying to look for those cells. So we will do different bench uh, projects. We will do what we call flow cytometry. We'll also do what we call <clears throat> uh, PCR testing, which is amplification of proteins. We'll also do Western blotting. So some very basic bench research. And uh, we were able to grow these cells, <clears throat> which was very astonishing, and we were able to prove them but different markers, there's a novel marker called AC133. We were able to prove that that marker existed on those cells, and that's a marker which has known to be present only on only cells that come from the bone marrow. But we were able to prove that those markers were also present on these cells <clears throat> that were contributing to vascular healing. Um, so that itself actually took almost a year and a half to publish that paper. Bench research can be very slow, can be very daunting, and requires a lot of patience. So I know you had a lot of moves throughout your fellowship and residency in the States. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah, you know, when you're a trainee, um, you sort of uh, get go where you get matched. So, you know, I started in New York City. Uh, that's where I got into internal medicine residency. And then <clears throat> after I did my three years of uh, internal medicine training, I got matched uh, into uh, another state, which is far off. And then we moved there. And then as I was in the middle of my fellowship, my wife, uh, she's also a physician. She got matched in internal medicine. My daughter, you know, she was young. She was only a month old at that time, three months old. We were like, oh, it's going to be hard for us to stay separate. So then I transferred my fellowship to that other program. And I was there for three years. And then that was general cardiology fellowship. And then for our international fellowship, I had to go to another city. Uh, I went to, wanted to go to a bigger institution, so we moved there. So that was almost like four or five moves uh, just from the training. Um, but again, you know, it's a fun time. You're young, you have, you're energetic, you're ambitious. And uh, it, uh, it's, it's always fun, those terms are always fun because you're really on the upward journey in your career. How do you manage doing residency with your wife being a doctor and having three young children? So during residency, we only had uh, my daughter uh, and uh, we had uh, the twins that were born during my fellowship. Again, it was very tough. So we were able to hire a nanny, we were able to hire a nanny when my daughter was little uh, and she would come uh, to work every time we both go to work. And then... Uh, we used to alternate weekends. So when my wife was on, on call, I would be home. And when, when, when I would be on call, she would be home. So yeah, there was not too much interaction we had during those times because there was not much fun time because we were always working. Uh, but you know, we had a babysitter that uh, really helped us. And then when, we, when the twins were born, uh, the same babysitter helped us. And then, you know, my mother came in and my wife's mother came in um, and uh, we managed that. So the, the twins were born towards the last year of my uh, wife's residency. So. We were towards the end of our uh, training career, and it wasn't that much daunting. Hmm. So circling back to cardiology, so do you spend more time in the office or in the hospital, and what do you do in each? So, uh, you know, uh, cardiology is really, uh, it's both. It's really an outpatient, inpatient setting because all your patients that you see in the office will end up in the hospital. We don't treat only chest pain. We treat people that have irregular heartbeats. We treat people that have palpitations. We treat people that have congestive heart failure. They're short of breath. So... We see them in the half office, but then we also take call because a lot of these patients, for instance, if they get sick in the middle of the night, they're in the hospital, so they need help. So my general day will be some days are office heavy, and some days are uh, hospitals always there on a, on a daily basis. Uh, and then there are some days where I reserve for doing procedures on these patients that need help, uh, where we are in, in, in the lab, if you will, to do procedures. In, in addition to that, we also do non-invasive testing Let's say for someone who has shortness of breath, we do an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart, just like you do for pregnancy. We also will do stress tests. We will make people walk on a treadmill, just see if they can elicit uh, those chest pain. And a lot of the people that have palpitations, we can put monitors they can go home with. So there's a lot of testing which is not invasive that, that is done in the office setting. But again, the typical day, again, I said, office heavy some days, hospital sort of every day, and then um, procedures. But again, we also on call. When you're on call, we also work on the weekends. So what types of patients do you see generally? What do they come in to see you about? So typically we see people that are 18 and above because you know we are adult cardiologists uh, and people come with, with all sorts of problems like cardiac, short of breath, they wanna make sure their heart muscle is not weak. They come with chest pain, which could be from stress, but they wanna make sure there's not a blockage causing chest pain. They come with palpitations, they wanna make sure there's no irregular heartbeat or fast heartbeat causing these symptoms. Uh, so we see all different age range, but depending on their, where the age is, we risk stratify them because the risk increases uh, as they get older. For instance, a 50-year-old female is still very young when it comes to the heart. 
as opposed to 50-year male, and then depending on the risk factors, we, we treat them accordingly. What are the more obscure parts of your practice that people don't usually think about? More obscure? Like, what are the more uncommon things that you treat? Yeah, uh, we do treat uh, certain conditions that uh, are very uncommon. Like, you know, a lot of people that uh, pass out, especially happen in young people, uh, they don't realize it's a process. Uh, it's a very complex pathways that no one understands. Uh, there are medicines for it that we can use to treat. And also people have an irregular heartbeat from those accessory pathways that are born with, uh, which can be clipped and taken care of. Uh, those things we treat. We also treat uh, people, uh, uh, when it comes to irregular, you know, some people like females can have uh, uh, aneurysms, uh, uh, not sorry, uh, aneurysms, they can have dissections of the coronary arteries, which can happen from stress. Those things we do treat. So there's definitely uh, some of these uh, uncommon conditions we treat. And once in a while we, run, uh, we also run up into people that have holes in the heart, they never heal. Uh, most of the people are born with open holes, 20% uh, population, but most of them are healed. But some of them don't heal with time and develop symptoms, and we pick those up. And then a lot of people are born with murmurs, which is from turbulence in the heart flow. And, you know, as cardiologists, we listen more carefully. We pick up a lot of murmurs, but, you know, they're going to the regular doctors, they listen to them, they're not picked up, we pick them up in the office. And they may have, you know, one person population is born with these congenital valves, which are not as durable. In their mid-40s, they start leaking, so those kind of conditions we do pick up and, uh, you know, we sometimes make a difference in patient's life. That's great. So can you tell me about what the day in your life will look like? Um, like on a more given day, if I have an office, I'll go in the office in the morning and, you know, again, office can be busy. We see anywhere from 15, 20 patients in, in the span of three and a half hours. Once that's done, then we have to finish the notes, answer some of the patient phone calls, and then we'll go to the hospital and then we'll see patients in the hospital. And if someone needs a urgent procedure, we'll do that. Once that's done, then we come back and we try to read some of the studies that inform those patients in the hospital. And then we also catch up on studies on patients that are, that are ordered in the office. For instance, if I did a study in the office today and the study is done a week later, that study is for you to read. So you have to read the study because the patient is gonna come back in a week or so to discuss the results. So, so there's always this kind of stuff that we do do. And then sometimes you're on the reading panel for EKGs, ECGs that are done in the hospital. We read those. Uh, and then on some days when we don't have office, we just have procedure day where we line up four or five procedures in a day. And that's what we do. The whole day we just do procedure. We line them up one after the other. Uh, some of them need procedures for their heart, what we call heart catheterization, where we try to find out if they need a stent in the heart. And sometimes we also do procedures where we do angiograms of the leg to see if they need any blockage in the leg that needs to be treated. And sometimes we also do, when people have irregular heartbeats, we also do a special test where we put a probe down the mouth to make sure there's no clot, and then we actually shock them, just like you've seen mm. them in the, in, in the TVs. We shock them back into rhythm. So how do you find the energy and the motivation to do all this work every single day? Yeah, I think uh, uh, you have to enjoy your work, and I, I think I really enjoy my work. Uh, you know, it's always, uh, because there's a lot of uh, thought process that is involved on every single patient. You put your differentials, like, it could be this, could be that, and that, you know, just that thought process of, uh, you know, helping patients uh, is, 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 uh, is very helpful. And again, you know, I take pride in what I do. I always try to remember a unique thing about my patient, like what they do on a, on, a, on, a, on a daily basis. Like some of them will have their father, their parents they talk about. They, some of them have different kind of, you know, golfing uh, uh, hobbies. Some of them drive nice cars that they talk about. And it's always a way to reconnect with your patients in their lives. 
And it is, it's, it's pretty amazing, you know, what a difference you can make to the patient life because a lot of times when they call and we tell our staff to call them back, but sometimes when the questions are too complex, we try to call them ourselves. Since we call from the hospital number, they don't know who's calling. Initially, they'll say, hey, this is this. When you tell them it's you calling, they jump. They can't believe that I'm calling them directly. Mm-hmm. That itself is such an instant gratification that they think so highly of you. Like, oh, I wasn't expecting that you would call me directly. Mm-hmm. They get so excited. Their whole mm-hmm. tone changes. So you, you, have to, you have to love your work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I still enjoy my work. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what keeps you going. So you're very busy in the hospital and in your normal life. How do you maintain such a good work-life balance? Um, it's hard. There are days when you don't come home on time and, you know, then you have kids at home that you want to give time to. And uh, again, in this commercial age, it's hard to balance time, but we try our best for how we do it. You know, try to have dinner with the kids. At least we can sit together and talk together. Uh, that's I try to do that. Uh, and then I try to talk to them individually uh, when I come home, uh, talk to my wife. And then again, we need some outlet. I try to play tennis, if I can. Uh, it's some of the energy that you can, you can, uh, you know, spend, and feel energetic about. But again, uh, I'm gonna be honest. A weekday can be pretty fatigue. It can 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 cause you uh, can cause a lot of fatigue, and then you're really trying to get through the day. But again, uh, the morning, you know, when it's really sunshine outside, it gives me a lot of energy. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I do drive a nice car. I like to drive a nice car. I've always been into cars, and you know, just driving a nice car listen to good music on the way or even talking to my dad on the phone or you know calling my wife sometimes driving uh, it's just a, a it's just a good routine that really helps you helps you going and i go to totally different places on a given day so i'm not always stuck in one hospital uh, uh that also gives you a sense of what's going on and in, 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 in general in the city um that's how i try to balance so what advice would you give to aspiring doctors and motivation to stick through all the hard parts what I will say is, you know, uh, being a physician is not easy. I know if you become a lawyer or, or become a financial advisor, it's a shortcut. A physician, uh, it will take you a lot more years uh, to become a physician, but I think the, the reward is much more than other professions. By the time you are starting profession, the other, I think in other professions, people are already getting burnt out. And if you choose the right path, the right profession that you want, uh, it's, it's, it's a continued uh, uh, growth and a continued learning curve uh, that you get and that keeps you going and uh, for someone that's you know want to become something and you will just realize it just it's, it helps you not only becoming sound in your thinking process but financially you also get very well and and, and you just keep growing it's, it's, it's a win-win situation that's great thank you so much for all the insight yeah i hope uh, that was helpful yeah thank you okay Okay, everyone, so that was Dr. Timor Gill for you, my very own father. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed his very lengthy but informative journey throughout interventional cardiology and hope that you find his story um, inspiring. Despite all the days of burnout and falling asleep on the couch, um, I really do think that he values his work. So I hope that any future cardiologists will find value in that as well. Thank you all for listening.